On this episode of the Fortune's Path podcast, I talk with product leader Eric Carroll about what kind of leader he wants to be. Step four of the 12 steps of product management. Eric tells us how growing up in an entrepreneurial family influenced his career choices and why being a good husband and father is his top priority. I'm Tom Noser. Eric Carroll is the Senior Director of Product for NurseGrid and Keener, with applications targeted to the 3 million hardworking nurses in America. Keener and NurseGrid are subsidiaries of HealthStream, the largest provider of SaaS talent solutions for healthcare. Eric has worked in education, consumer goods, and healthcare. He's as thoughtful and decent a product leader as you could work with. A father of two, Eric knows a lot about goal setting and crucial conversations. He believes adventure and communication are critical to a happy life at home and at work. See if you agree with him on this episode of the Fortune's Path podcast. Eric, thank you so much for coming. It's great to see you. Yeah, you too, Tom. Glad to be here. So you're you're a very busy man. As a father of two, you've recently uh, started a new job with greater responsibilities, and you're rebuilding a house. Or not rebuilding, yeah. you're building a house from scratch. Yeah. I decided to sell the house that we were living in and go live with my in-laws and go live in an apartment, you know, yeah, with two kids. It's a lot of fun. I was going to say, do you regret that decision? <laughs> I'm happy with where we're ending up, but, you know, I would do it differently if I could do it differently. <laughs> <laughs> you are a, uh, a startup entrepreneur in home building. Yeah. <laughs> it's anyway, it's a, I, it's a lot of work. So what I wanted to talk today about is um, decide what kind of a leader you want to be, which is the fourth step of the 12 steps of product management. And the reason I thought about you is because in the past, when we've talked, I know that your ambitions are not purely traditional of, I want to climb the ladder as high as I can. Yeah, that's right. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about how you've come to that determination about what will make you happy and what you think is a good life. Yeah. So, yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. How did you come to this, this decision? Yeah, yeah. You know, I could probably talk for years about my childhood and, you know, how I met my wife and kind of how that's shaped and formed me. But I would say ultimately it came from one major factor and that was my own father was an entrepreneur and I saw him do the grind of entrepreneurship and what it took to support his family and what that looked like. And I also saw the balance of that freedom of being the entrepreneur that he had. Like when I was in high school, he showed up to all of my high school football games. Uh, he would make time for me in the day. Uh, I was even the janitor at his office as, as my high school job. And laid cable lines. And I really liked those opportunities that I had or that, that my father had to interact with me uh, when I was growing up. Um, and I realized that while he then sometimes had to go into the basement and then work from 8 p.m. to 1 a.m., that he was prioritizing the family overall with what he was doing. And so that's something that then has carried on into my life as my own father is like, what, what do I want my life to be? Do I want to work for the sake of work or do I want to work for the sake of providing, you know, benefit to the people that I love the most? And 
that's really for me, uh, kind of the focus of what kind of leader I want to be, uh, why I want to uh, do the work that I do and, uh, just kind of my major motivation or, or, you know, to use your language, virtue uh, Mm -hmm. in life is, is create a wonderful, you know, life and existence for my family. That's, um, that's a beautiful answer. My father, uh, is also an entrepreneur and, um, I would say that my dad is a wonderful father for an adult. Um, and he would say he wasn't the most engaged dad when we were small. He didn't quite know what to do with us. Uh, we became more interesting as we got older. Yeah. And I've thought about, um, you know, that, that idea of um, I do this for you. And so I'll speak just for myself. Um, I have to get ego gratification from my work. Um, and so what, what I do is not entirely selfless. Yeah. Um, and so that there's that as you've grown in your career, um, what are the things that you find most gratifying? Yeah, I, I think the things that I find most gratifying is always right. Being in product is always when someone uses your product and enjoys it in some mm-hmm. sort of way. I've, I've been in software, I've been in hardware I've been in healthcare. I've been in education. I've been in consumer uh, products. Always for me, <laughs> you know, for lack of a better word, when my ego really probably like feels fulfilled or feels, you know, like, oh man, this feels really good is when someone gets the delight of this solves a problem for me or this helps me in some sort of way or this this is a, is a solution that I want to I want to have. That's always delightful. I'll never forget when I was working at Griffin, um, seeing some of our products in kiosks at, at like the airport and people use them. It's just like, oh my gosh, there's how cool. Okay. Someone is on the airport. They've forgotten their headphones. They've forgotten their charger. And and there it is available for them. You know, that's, a, you know, a little bit more utility, mm-hmm. but it was so cool to be like, I helped produce that moment or that ability or that solve that problem of the panicked, you know, mother or father that's, you know, heading out on a family trip or, you know, business trip. And they forgot an essential, you know, piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was always cool to see those moments. So that's, that's always what I really enjoy at at work and enjoy doing and seeing the result of. That's um, so I only knew some people at Griffin and I had the same feeling. I would see the Griffin stuff in a kiosk at the airport and go, oh, cool, Griffin, Nashville. Yeah. That's Steve, you know. Um, yeah. And, uh, so um, that's, that's that sense of you want people to use it. I'll say that's one of the things that's um, about consulting that can be tough is mm-hmm. um, a lot of the work I do ends up as a report. And, you know, you do your best to make those reports as helpful as possible. But the real value, a lot of the times from consulting, comes from the relationship. So you have deliverables. You give people what it is that they say that they need. Sometimes at the end of the engagement, they find out they needed something different than what they asked for. Um, But what you hope is that the way they think, the way they operate changes, and they get insight through that. It's a little bit like with kids. So um, I don't know if you've had an experience of trying to teach one of your children how to do something. Have you ever tried to, you ever had that? 
Um, I, I'm sure I have, though mm-hmm. I, I delegate a lot of the education <laughs> to my wife because she seems to be a little bit, a little bit better at it than than I I do. Um, she's taught our uh, uh, now five year old to read uh, yeah. over the pa- this past summer, and she's not even in kindergarten yet. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah, so she's a much better educator and teacher than I am. She has way more patience than I do. But yes, I've tried so to teach them before. Yeah, so what's your? Um, they're also going to pick up habits from you that you didn't intend. I mean, there'll be yeah. there'll be times when one of them does something you're like, oh my god, that's what I do. Um, and so when I taught ninth grade, what I found was that the kids never got what I thought they were going to get. Yeah, and it's it's important for me not to be judgmental about that. So this is like the the um, the problem of user error. So something comes in to your software. It's like this is a, a defect, or it's a um, we're not happy. A customer has expressed some dissatisfaction, and it's very easy for us to say, "Well, they're they're stupid. That's why." Yeah. And to me, it's kind of the same things like when you're teaching ninth grade and the kids interpret the poem differently than the way you wanted. You go, "Well, you guys are wrong. This is what it means." It's not a helpful position. I think it's very natural, but it's not helpful. How do you guys, when you're collecting user feedback, how do you keep that open mind to where you can um, treat it with respect? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. One that's really hard, and one that I realize <clears throat> is really ingrained differently in a lot of different people and across a lot of different disciplines. Uh, one of the big things that... Uh, I've experienced over time, especially is working with sales and customer success mm-hmm. and, and having that open mind of how do you hear the problem that a user has and how do you not just solve it exactly the way they want it, but think about how we solve it multiple different ways for more clients over and over. Right. So I, I think the thing that you have to do is it, it is a muscle Unlike, you know, just like anything else, you have to constantly have this curiosity and wonderment of, well, uh, you know, I like to apply the five whys or, you know, jobs to be done framework or whatever mm-hmm. of trying to go further and further and ask why, well, why is that a problem? Why does this, what does it mean for you to have this? Why, why, why? And, and constantly make sure that you're asking those questions to then get it kind of the real result um, rather than, Hey, I want this widget. I want it to be read and slap it on the page to show up in this way. And then I'll buy your software. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think getting into that muscle memory of having that curiosity and asking the wise is the only way you can get there. And you can only get through it through repetition and trying. Um and I think you need the the right personality and the right mm-hmm. type to even want to want to get there at times. Um, yeah, I'm, that's a great question. So tell me about the the product culture at Hellstream. Who reports to you, if anybody? And talk to me a little bit about your team. Sure. Yeah. Right now, the team um, we're in a shifting dynamic, um, coming together after some uh, several acquisitions that uh, you can see and find on the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, from last fall, but we're working at organizing a lot of our groups after those acquisitions and getting some uh, pieces and components together. Right now, uh, we have uh, one PM uh, product manager, 
two UX UI and a, a big handful of developers of which mm-hmm. uh, work on uh, the various products. Mm-hmm. And how many of those folks report to you? Yeah, just just the product manager mm-hmm. right now. So when you're influencing in the organization, I mean, do you have um, responsibility for delivery of the software, even though those folks don't report to you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Responsibility uh, for the whole metrics of what the product is uh, performing, doing, the what we're releasing, absolutely. But mm-hmm. direct authority, uh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, the, that's the fun of product management. That's right. So um, how do you influence? How do you um, try to uh, get what you need? Yeah, I think the most important thing with influencing or kind of helping get the team all operating together is really having that vision of where are we going? Mm-hmm. Where are we going and what, why do we believe that? You know, I think it's, it's direction setting of here's, here's where we're going to end up. And here's why we believe we'll end up there. And here's what we think we need to do to end up there. And it's an invitation to all to participate mm-hmm. in that. You're just setting the table. Can you tell us at all about what that vision is? Yeah, for uh, my products? or Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we have some nurse-focused uh, consumer products called Nurse Grid and Keener. Uh, both those are free to nurses. And really, at the end of the day, we're refining the vision a little bit still across uh, both of those. But at the end of the day we're trying to improve the lives of nurses through technology. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a large workforce group that traditionally uh, doesn't hold a lot of individual influence over an organization's um, tools or budget or details about how they work and operate. And yet their life is unlike many others uh, out there working three 12 hour shifts, you know, sometimes in a row Mm-hmm. Um, working night shifts, um, having to deal with uh, trauma, you know, of, of, of life and death on a regular basis, that providing tools that improve their lives or make their lives um, a, a little bit easier um, in some sort of way is really at the core vision of, of what we're doing. And then so how we how we link that to organizations then and help with that relationship is kind of another key piece of it. So you're getting into the emotional context of these users. Yeah. How are you doing that? Yeah, right now it's, it's a lot of just qualitative research, uh, having interviews one-on-one uh, with them um, and, and spending time getting the, those feedback and deep details uh, around how they're using the app, but also then just their lives and details and needs and desires. Mm-hmm. And then how do you align that with the needs of their organizations? Yeah, that's a great question. That's, that's, the, that's the bigger question and bigger topic that we're trying to get at and trying to solve. But, you know, ultimately that also just looks like uh, in, the, in the B2B realm, it becomes a little bit harder to get those feedback uh, loops and desires uh, of how can we see the results or what can we provide and get uh, uh, provide for you in terms of a product to those groups. But, uh, really at the end of the day, it's, it's again, just qualitative feedback. Can we, can we set up meetings with nurse management and 
and talk about where we're going and what we want. And now, now it's the invitation for them at the table, right? If we set the vision for them as well, then it's an invitation of participating in our vision as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a, Short definition of product management, you're, it's the function that's responsible for getting customers what they want, even when they don't know what they want. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, great summary. Yeah. Um, so you're you're trying to um, tease that out. So you guys are, are talking about creating a new vision for the way nurses work, a new set of support. Uh, and people can't necessarily envision this because they don't have something like it now. And management hasn't necessarily thought about um, the life of the individual nurse that much. They may yeah. see them more as uh, a role, and but they're not necessarily thinking about the individuals who, who fulfill that function. Yeah, a, a great example of a space that we play in right now with, with NurseGrid mm-hmm. is um, distributing their schedule to a mobile app. Now, all of the players in the scheduling space have a mobile app. But if you go and look at the ratings and reviews on the app store mm-hmm. from nurses, they're all one-star reviews. No one enjoys using the apps. And so how do you speak to an enterprise buyer, you know, who it's probably gone through the RFP process mm-hmm. and you're in a procurement person's um, inbox who has a list of uh, Excel of features that need to be in this to buy and mm-hmm. it is in a negotiation. How do you start to talk about, well, look, by purchasing this, you're going to have unhappy nurses and this impacts, you know, such and such and such and such. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have this other solution, you know, nurses engage with this, they use this on their own for free right now. Mm-hmm. You might be able to impact nurse satisfaction, nurse happiness, um, by just making this different choice. But at the end of the day, a lot of them see the checkbox and the RFP process and say mobile app. And that's, that's the big challenge. Yeah. Um, first of all, never sell through procurement. Um, yeah. it's, uh, they, they're, they're purely <laughs> yeah. a pain in the ass. It, it is a bad sign when you end up there for you, when you're up there, then it's like, this is not, this is not where we want to be. Yeah. That's a, um, you need a, um, uh, advocate inside the organization who can just push that through. Absolutely. Uh, and that's uh, got to be someone who's bought into that emotional vision that you're trying to create, which kind of goes back to that um, leadership. What do you, so when you're working with customers, how do you see your role as a leader? Yeah, I, I see myself just as, again, it's about painting where we want to go mm-hmm. and that vision and that desire of the world that we're going to create. And then having the people and and players a part of that, whether that's on the customer side or on the business side or even a partnership side, Mm -hmm. Um, making sure that each of us are, you know, aligned to that and understand that and how we play together in each of our each of our responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to change gears just a a little bit. I want to ask about um, your role as a supervisor and the kind of supervisors you work with, what's yeah. more important to you to be a good boss or to have a good boss? Mm. You know, they, they hit at different things for me at different times. I think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think intrinsically I find much more satisfaction 
of being a good boss than having a good boss. Uh, knowing if I could create a space for others to succeed gives me a lot more happiness than if maybe even I feel like I'm succeeding individually uh, with, with my own boss or with the, you know, a leader that I work for. Mm-hmm. What does that look like to you to be a good boss? Yeah, great question. Um, I think for me, you know, one of the things that I feel like I can give the most of is my time. Mm-hmm. I'm very open with my time as a, a leader or boss. And at times that probably gets me into some problems with really time management and, mm-hmm. you know, working on the things that are probably the most important. But, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, I think the most important thing is how can you create and um, uh, uh, others an ability to succeed because that's your multiplier effect. You know, I only have, you know, X amount of hours in my day Mm-hmm. And if I devote that more so to making sure that the other people I work with, you know, whether that I'm the direct leader of or indirect leader of, mm-hmm. um, that I can make their day more productive or have their clarity to be unblocked or be able to get their tasks or parts of uh, the job that they need to do done, then then it's success. And then I'm unlocking and allowing more work uh, to be done. So for me, Creating that time to make sure any blockers are resolved, any issues of lack of clarity um, are uh, understood, and kind of where those next steps go, that's that's really what it looks like to me to be a good leader to others so that way they feel successful in the tasks and things that they need to get done and know how they contribute to the work. So when you – it sounds like when you make an assignment, you make a fairly – open-ended broad assignment when you're delegating something to somebody is that correct i try (laughs) when when the assignment has that opportunity yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) so what do you do when you make that sort of an assignment and then between the time that you assign it and you get it back conditions change and uh it may be that what what that person went off and did actually isn't needed anymore how do you how do you handle that yeah that's a hard conversation um you know a lot of the times it's acknowledging that one, what they produce or what they needed was, was valued and wanted at that sort of time. Mm-hmm. They're recognizing that, Hey, the, you know, the items change or things change and that really stinks. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know you worked hard on this and it's great. Here's, here's the direction that we're changing. And then again, it's a reinvitation of here's why things are changing. Here's what we're learning. Here's mm-hmm. what's going on. I think some of it too can be, well, not now doesn't mean never. Yeah. So it's like, don't think about it as wasted work because yeah. um, just like when you're, you know, when you're writing a book, a lot of it you throw out. That doesn't mean that what you wrote was a waste. It meant it was necessary to get to where you, did, where you needed to be. And then there's things that you write and you just put them on in the notebook and come back to them sometimes years later. Um, yeah. And so the same thing can happen with your, the stuff you do at work. Just because we're not using this now doesn't mean we're never going to use it. Yeah, and and I think the at the same time, any work produced is a, is a learning 
opportunity mm-hmm. and as a way to strengthen and and, mm-hmm. and, and grow in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. And to just think that it was tossed away or worthless just because it might not be used mm-hmm. it is is not a great mindset to have. Mm-hmm. And so how do you encourage what was learned, what was good about, you know, uh, this situation? And having that optimism of a, a growth mindset mm-hmm. is important. So what's some of the structure you have as a manager to create that growth mindset with the people you work with, with your teams? Tell me something about so your, your daily habits and your, mm. your rituals that help promote that. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if this really sets up growth mindset, but, uh, you know, I, I believe – you know, call it whatever you want, put it under the umbrella of OKRs or put it under the umbrella of goal setting or whatnot. But I think a key factor is trying to call some shots on what you think you need to accomplish, setting a goal, setting an objective, setting a key results. And in doing that collectively, you know, as either as an individual with an individual with a leader or as a group uh, of cross-disciplined people, what are we seeking out to accomplish as a group? And then how do I individually achieve or contribute to that? But having that goal setting that creates a dialogue of discussion of what are you learning? What is, what is working? What is not working? And it sets up that growth mindset mentality. If you, if you don't create those objectives, then all of a sudden it creates just a, a a large sandbox that no one knows what's going on or if they how they contribute or how they do or how they play into that space. So by having that space of saying, hey, here's where we need to focus and put our mindset on and then having a discussion, even if we miss it entirely or if we miss the like that objective was even the wrong one to go after. We talk about what did we learn in that process what do we change, right? I mean, it's not too different from even a lot of agile methodologies and retro and whatnot. It's, we have a goal over an X amount of time. We were attempting to achieve that goal. Now, what do we learn? What do we want to improve? What do we want to change? What do we want to adjust? And those mindsets is what creates, in my mind, a a growth mindset uh, piece. Do you write those goals down? Are they formal? Yeah, they've, they've been uh, different at many different organizations that I've been at. Um, yeah. uh, at. At times, yes, especially when there's a structure of which to attach it to organizationally. Mm-hmm. At times, no, mm-hmm. um, not at all. It's, it's, it's more so we agree and then, and then it, we come back to it just either a week later or even months later. And we're like, mm-hmm. hey, where, where did we feel like this ended up? Did we learn or was that mm-hmm. the right one? much longer. So it sounds like your rituals aren't necessarily that formal. It's no. more of the structure of your conversations, your interactions with people. You try yeah. to come back to why. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And I try to create some structure mm-hmm. where where we don't have it. But a lot of the times I've found that if the organization has some sort of structure, mm-hmm. it's better to work within that rather than work against it. And mm-hmm. so sometimes that dictates some changes to the approach. Mm-hmm. I get you. Um, so with your kids, are you beginning to define a why? Are you beginning to define sort of a set of uh, virtues that you want them to uh, live for? Yeah. Good question. I, you know, I think it's not maybe on an individual basis of, of the kids, but um, in the last year, this is really, really nerdy. But my wife and I, we were celebrating our ninth anniversary. We're up in the Rocky Mountains hiking. And 
just had a place where we were thinking like, well, what do we value? What do we like? Like at that moment, we were just having a really good time and we were reflecting back on the last year. And we were thinking about what were the times that we really enjoyed and what were the things that were, uh, uh, you know, hard and hard and not necessarily because you want to avoid all hard things, but hard is just like, okay, that, that wasn't enjoyable. That wasn't what we wanted to do. That wasn't where we wanted to end up as a family. And we kind of ended up with some family values of what do we, what do we want to ascribe to, or what do we want to focus on, or what do we want to make sure our life sort of revolves around? Um, And so that, while not necessarily is directly our children, but is our family. And now how are we trying to create that environment for our kids to have those, those same pieces and functionality? Can you tell me what some of those values are that you all decided on? Yeah. We, we need to revisit them. My wife and I uh, haven't had our uh, uh, your offsite, our, our offsite, or uh, half yeah halfway through the year. How are we mm-hmm. doing with our objectives meeting yet? Mm-hmm. Uh, been a little busy moving a bunch of times. Yeah, it could luck at some point. But uh, you know, a lot of them. One was around adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, we really enjoy adventure and trying new things. Another was learning. Learning is a big aspect uh, for us, constant growth. So adventure and learning kind of go hand in hand for us. Mm -hmm. How do we get into new environments and also learn about those new environments and Mm -hmm. have this ability to be adaptable and have have that growth uh, mindset? Um, Some others are spirituality, um, uh, making sure that a connection and and faith uh, with God Um, And then family and relationships was another big one of us. Uh, Both my parents live here in Nashville. Her parents live here in Nashville. And focusing and saying that family, both, yes, our unit of of four, but also our greater family uh, that's around us is important to us. We want to spend time doing that. And, And so all of those things then helped us actually make a roadmap for this, this year in 2021 of what do we want to accomplish and do? And, and actually one of those things that uh, was a combination of uh, adventure and learning and family is we're going on a, a beach trip with my wife's sister and her kids and her husband uh, all together. And so like that, that doesn't just, it, it can happen, but mm-hmm. there's a big intentionality behind yeah. why we do the things that we're doing. I love that. I had, um, so there's a neighbor who I admire. He and his wife travel all over the world. And every year, twice a year, they're going to like, you know, Tahiti or wherever, places I would never imagine going. And I said to him, Jim, how do you do this? And he says, you get your calendar, you mark a time about a year out, and you book it. You just book book the flight, you book everything. You just put it on the calendar and you get it done. And then you know it's there, and you're going to have to go. Um, and I have I found through the pandemic, it was really important for me to have things out in the future, yep, uh, things to look forward to. And Anna, my wife, recently said to me, "I want you to come home one day, and say to me, Anna, we have an hour to pack. We're going to the beach, and we're leaving right now. So go get your stuff." And I have never been able to be that disciplined you know we gave her a surprise party but it was mostly because my daughter helped um and um but that that's sort of what i aspired to be able to do now 
is have the confidence to make the decisions and not be worried that I say we're leaving in an hour and Anna says, I don't want to go there. <laughs> like today's <Yeah>. a bad day. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um, I would, you know, one, one thing I love that you and your wife took that time on the walk. Um, so I would say, um, don't ever sell your wife short. You know, no. there, there, yeah, there have been, um, times in my life when I didn't ask for something because I wanted to use Anna as an excuse to not do it. So, mm -hmm. cause I was scared, you know, like when we were, when we were kids, I wanted to be a screenwriter, but I never said to Anna, let's go to California so I can pursue screenwriting um, because I was scared. And so it was much easier. Anna's parents live here in town. It was much easier to say, mm -hmm. well, and so I never even asked. Um, and yeah, that's a regret. You know, I have a wonderful life, but I never even tried that. Um, and so have there... Um, are there things that you feel like your your relationship with your with your parents or with your wife, with your kids that make you kind of more than you would have been naturally? That make you a better person or a better leader? Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, my wife is an amazing, amazing woman. Um, she's way smarter than me uh, and has the degrees to back that up. Mm -hmm. And, um, and just does some of the most amazing things. And I, I, I think one of the most important jobs is, is how she spends times with our kids right now and is raising them to be what they are. Now, your question though, of, of how, what have I learned from them or what, what do they, what they give to me? She is so insightful teaching me things about myself that I never knew. Um, or never realized that it's just unlocked more, more insight than, than I had of myself that I would have ever been able to get on my own. It was really funny. A couple of years ago, we were on a walk as a, as a family. And um, are you familiar with the Enneagrams uh, mm -hmm. and personality? There, it's a personality tray, one through nine. And I guess she, she and a, a, a book club were going through that. And she said, hey, you're a one, you're a perfectionist. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not a perfectionist. I can, no, I, I let things go all the time. It, mm -hmm. Things can be messy. It's fine. She goes, no, 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 you're missing it. You're missing it. She went on and, and told me and mm -hmm. was like, okay, this, this is what I see in you. This is what you do. This is how you operate. Here's how it has shown up. And I go, oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah. When, when, when I'm most frustrated is because of these issues. It's because I wanted to be right. I wanted to have intentionality. I wanted to have these things. And so that just unlocking that for me just took this new facet of, oh, how am I engaging with other people mm -hmm. and how aware of that? Another example, in the last year, I was really having a personally hard time with a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And and finally, that encouragement from her of just like, hey, I think you should go see a counselor. You can't live like this. Like you're having extreme anxiety. And I, I would never have been able to open myself up to that or even think about it probably on my own. And having that encouragement mm -hmm. was just phenomenal. And it's been huge for me of just a better understanding myself, my needs, my desires, and even how to, how to better interact with others. I, 
I, we joke together, but I, I've been having way better fights with her since I went to counseling. And, <laughs> and, then it, and, and, we, and we say it, it ends up in a better result because yeah. of that rather than rather than me holding back, you know, issues and other things. And it's it's been a, a phenomenal, you know, next level achievement, I think, in our relationship and and my personal growth. And I couldn't have done it without her insights. Well, if you're if you're learning how to fight at nine years, you're way ahead of me. Um, you know, it's, we're, we're at 30, almost, I guess, almost 30 years. Um, and, um, we're just starting to understand, I'm just starting to understand how to disagree. Um, and, um, so there's, it's interesting that you talk about how she knows you better than you know yourself. I think that that, that's part to me of, of, um, leadership is understanding how to listen to others where there's, there can be like, for me, my editor suggested that um, my book didn't have a structure. And I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, And then I thought about, I was like, Oh, you're absolutely right. And it was a dramatic rewrite, but it was actually really simple. Um, And things just, it made it a ton better and things fell into place. But when she first told me that I was like, you're fired. Go jump on a lake. Yeah. Um, and but then I sat with it for a while and started to realize that she was right. Um, so have you had an experience like that in your career where you got some feedback and initially you were like, this is the biggest pile of and then over time you began to begin to kind of seep in? I don't know if I can have a direct example, but in your example that you gave, like to me whenever that feedback would first come or criticism is definitely a fight or flight sort of Mm -hmm. dynamic, right. That Mm -hmm. really hits that. It's like, no, I'm going to tell you why you're wrong Mm -hmm. in all of these issues, or I'm just going to get out of here. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just going to move and and, Mm -hmm. and exit from this situation. And I think finding that other, that other possibility of collaboration, right. Or, um, or finding out how to make the conflict productive, in, in some sort of way is, is the, the best mentality, but it's a really hard intrinsic thing to change of survival instincts constantly tell us to, to fight or flight. And, and mm-hmm. neither one actually ends up in creating better relationships. A lot of the times I mean, yeah. you need to have healthy conflict, but you can't have like a knockout fight over it. Yeah. Right. And so how do you create that is, is I think one of the most, important things that you can do, especially in a professional, but also personal setting as well. Yeah, it's, um, I've been reading um, some uh, Seneca, just to brag. Um, uh-huh. And um, he was, he talks about giving your time to people who don't deserve it. Yeah. Um, and I um, was the entrepreneur in town yesterday, and he was talking about how he'd gotten some feedback from somebody, wanted him to change his brand. And he was like, I just immediately... I don't have time for this. I know you're wrong. I don't, there's no reason for me to listen to you because I know you're wrong. Yeah. And we don't have unlimited time. Like you made the point about when you're open, when somebody comes in, every now and then you'll end up with an hour, an hour and a half meeting that was totally unplanned, is emotionally draining, and puts your day out of order. Yep. Um, and you're, you're, you don't want to be at the office at 8 o'clock. No. You know, you want to be home and present at I don't know, between 6 and 7, I imagine. Um, and, uh, so that's, how do you, um, know what to listen to and what you can, 
what you should ignore? Mm. That's a great, great question. I don't know if I have a good handle on that today. I think um, the desire to be present and to be available is so strong and I end up giving it away more than I need to. I think some things that I look out for is more so like urgency of the situation, long-term impact. Um, and that helps me more determine, is this a need to take care of now situation or can it be tomorrow or the next week? And even asking sometimes of that person, Hey, you know, if they, if they're asking, Hey, can I have your time right now? I need your feedback mm-hmm. saying, Hey, I'm, I'm about to enter this. Can it wait till tomorrow? Can it wait till next week? Or can we set up another time and giving some other solutions to that time management are, are great ways. So I've been really not necessarily even trying to decide that for myself, but how to engage in a conversation that maybe doesn't put all the onus or pressure on me to make my time work, mm-hmm. but creates a collaboration and relationship of, of discussion going back and forth to then maybe they do figure out, okay, well, if you can't do it till now, I can handle it, you know, right now where I need, or no, I, I would like to meet tomorrow. If that works for you, great. And that, that relationship building and that, you know, just even conversation of, other options usually then tends to suss it out a little bit more mm-hmm. and, you know, potentially makes it so you don't, you know, have to end up in that meeting, you know, another time, or you can point in another direction in some sort of way or another person. I love that. I think um, that skill of assessing urgency and, you know, sort of your triage yeah. uh, is super important in product because so many things, so many different stakeholders can come at you. You can walk down the hall and somebody from support says, oh, I need to, and then a dev says, oh, we got this, you know, and then somebody marketing is like, we don't have any. And yeah. you're like, okay, what am I going to, how do I make a decision between these three when I'm on my way to a meeting with my supervisor who has a whole other set of agenda? Um, and being able to absorb yep. all of that feedback and say, okay, well, we'll get to that. You know, it's, I can't do it right now, but we can get to that. Well, we'll just, it has to be in priority. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's yeah. actually talk a little bit about prioritization. How do you prioritize um, in your work? What are the things, what, what process do you go through when either you're looking through your inbox uh, or you're trying to balance those different constituents? How do you prioritize? Yeah. Well, on a, on a daily basis, I think there's, I think there's daily and then there's like monthly quarterly ways of which I have to orient myself to, to priorities on a, on a daily basis. I'm a very ritualistic person. I have to do have generally the same process or same ways in which I work through things. So mornings is just get to inbox zero message, zero, you know, whatever. Then I have a a list of in my notebook of tasks that that is on a weekly basis that I keep going throughout the day of, all those various meetings and I just come back to those in inside and outside. So as a daily basis on a weekly basis, um, Fridays, I always end the week, uh, you know, decompressing and saying, okay, this was the week. Here's what I got accomplished. What does next week need to look like? 
and and start to write out those big tasks at the beginning of my notebook and for the next week of like, here's what we need to focus on for the week and looking at my calendar ahead, accepting meeting invites, possibly changing meetings if I need to as well. Um, but looking at those big things, then as the week goes on again, those daily tasks start to pile up in and amongst. And then all of that should be all done in the context of a monthly or quarterly, you know, look of, of either setting, you know, objectives and goals, um, the roadmap and other details. And so then making sure that all that the work that I'm doing on a, on a weekly basis is always rolling up to those goals. Um, is important. And one of the things that I've tried to incorporate uh, that I've learned at previous organizations and trying to incorporate now is um, with with my cross-discipline team that I work with, which is engineering, marketing, content, uh, support, and leadership, mm-hmm. is we have a Monday meeting where we're going through our, our collective goals. Like we have our, our KPIs and we have our collective goals. And that keeps me and I think us as a group accountable to keeping our focus on the right things each week, each Monday, that then keeps us checked in to all those all the time to make sure that we're working on the right ones. So that's that's kind of been my framework so far in the last mm-hmm. uh, I've probably adopted in the last year um, and have tried to implement more recently since I've joined a new org of trying to get us collectively operating as a larger, you know, I would say unit uh, around a couple products. Mm-hmm. So um, the Basecamp guys have an interesting point of view on, and I can't yeah. remember, it's um, Jason Fried and I can't, HH, I can't remember how to pronounce his name. David Heinemer Hansen. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, so they have an interesting point of view on um, goals. They, uh, they say goals are baloney. They just, they make you feel bad. And the, so it's a, it's a fake way of organizing work. And typically, they just cause unnecessary stress. And part of me really loves that notion yeah. of, you know, the, the baloney of KPIs. Yeah. Um, and um, so it's like the health of the business isn't determined by our hitting the KPIs. It's determined by things like revenue growth, by churn, by recommendations, um, you know, by the ratio of new dev to technical debt, all that kind of stuff to me is much more uh, an indicator, measurable indicators of the health of the product and the health of the organization. Um, tell me why, you know, because I saw you nodding when I said that wouldn't it be great if we didn't have any goals? Um, do you have a, is there any conflict in you about that? About like, we have these damn, you know, meetings about, wouldn't it be better if I was just working? <laughs> um, you know, I think, I don't know if uh, they, they're they saying this or you're saying that, but those other things that you listed of like mm-hmm. top of the product, those are KPIs in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Those are mm-hmm. those are goals in my opinion to get to some healthy state of tech debt and others. It's probably more so in, in how you write goals. And frankly, we're all really terrible at writing goals. Writing goals is really stinking hard. Yeah, it is. It, like it is, it is one of the like hardest challenges. And I, sometimes I get so frustrated with it because it's, it's like this ethereal, like how mm-hmm. do you make sense of, of this thing? And how do you talk to all the things that it's supposed to do? And how do you get specific, but also large enough? Um, but I mean, you write goals every Friday, you take your notebook yeah. out and you write out what you're trying to yeah. achieve. 
I, I think we get goals and strategy confused. Yeah. Um, and so to me, your, the strategy you described is we are trying to help nurses through technology. This yep. is what, what we're about. So we, we think there's a way to do that. And from a business strategy, it's we think there's a, there is a synergy between the individual nurse and their employer yep. that no one has ever taken advantage of. And we're in a position to take advantage of that. Okay, so what are our tactics that we're going to have to try to achieve that strategy? So I don't know if this is so for D-Day, did they have a goal of like, we're going to kill 10,000 Germans today? Or was it, no, no we we have to just get on the beach. You know, our job is to get yeah. off the beach. Exactly. Um, and so I feel like the way we define our uh, our objectives has a kind of false precision a lot of the time. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, so let, let me ask, let me sort of totally um, shift gears for a second. How do you set goals in the, in the family? How do you prioritize things with your family? Yeah. <laughs> Good question. I, that's, we've actually followed a similar structure. So I was talking mm -hmm. a little bit about um, my wife and I last fall on our anniversary trip. We, from that conversation, we then in December, we created a task of, all right, write down your values. What do you value individually? And what are some goals that you have for the year? What do you want to accomplish? Mm -hmm. And on a, on a, a date night in Germantown uh, in Nashville, we, we pulled out our sheets of paper of which we individually wrote this together, mm -hmm. compared notes. And we we're like, yeah. okay, here, here are the themes that we're seeing. Okay, here's what we want. Here's what mm -hmm. we're seeing. And, and it was a discussion about that you know, of, of, of these details. One, you know, I mentioned that I'm currently living in a, in an apartment while we're building a new house. One was moving into a, a larger house for our family to grow in for, so our kids could have a backyard to play in. Mm -hmm. And, and that kind of set the stage of this next planning. So during that time we set out, like, here's our goals. Here's what we want 2022 to look like, or sorry, 2021. I'm already thinking about next year's <laughs> goal session. Um, you're a good leader. Yeah. So here's what we want to, the, you know, our family life to look like at the end of 2021. Here's what we hope we could see at the end of this journey. Here's, here's what we think, you know, this could be and set, set that um, up in some sort of way. I mean, it wasn't as specific as, go take a vacation to the beach with her sister and her fan and her sister's family. But it was a, let's take at least, you know, two trips as a family, mm -hmm. right? Let's, let's go set that time. Let's make sure the budget works for that. Mm -hmm. Let's go do that. Okay. Buy a house. All right. Mm -hmm. Maybe if we weren't buying a new house, maybe we would have taken three or four trips, right? <laughs> Something like that. Like, yeah. That, like, those but, are like, it was, it was some of those negotiations of what do we want that to look like and how do we then, start to have that intentionality through there. So we had that, you know, offsite or mm -hmm. date night where we just talked through that. And, you know, I got all nerdy and went, you know, product manager on her and took those, Hey, these are, these are, this is what we value. This is our mission, vision, value as a family. Here's uh, what we want to end up, you know, 2021 looking like at the end of 21 to look like now here's our roadmap. And I mm -hmm. said, okay, if, if, if that's what we want 2021 to look like, Here's roughly it looks like to accomplish that. And then I, I said, here's the budget. Here's our budget for the year mm -hmm. as well to make that work mm -hmm. and, and function. And and like 
just like in, in business, all of that changes so quickly oh, yeah. and adjusts as you hit that. But then those check-ins, um, like we said, we were going to have quarterly check-ins, you know, on, on, on dates of like, how are we doing? How are we learning? One that I know we're failing spectacularly at right now is each of us had a goal to, to have read um, 24 books by the end of the year. I think I'm oh, only wow. on like, I think I'm only on like five. It's, 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 it is summer. It's time for summer reading. <laughs> yeah. And, and she's, and she's at like, she's at seven or eight. So she's got me beat, but we're like, wow, moving and, and selling our house took a lot bigger of a toll on us. It's right. Well, that was more important than us learning. So we can accept that. We missed that goal. We missed that. But well, what Moon's we a doing? great book. There's, there's a lot of good short yeah, books. Yeah. yeah. You can count all the ones you're reading to the kids. Yeah, they've got a long list. I think they're probably at like 100 books right now. We've got the yeah. summer reading list going. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's kind of how we've incorporated into our, our family life. And and we just kind of do check-ins. And, you know, we fortunately have that trust with each other of of ways that we can just check in and be like, hey, we're, we're missing the reading goal. How are you doing? And it's just like, yeah, it sucks right now. Yeah, right. It's it's not going well. And, and acceptance of, of that with each other. Be like, yeah, I understand. That's probably not the goal that was right for this time. But it also does again. You know, not today doesn't mean never. Um, exactly. You know, so it's funny. Is so, um, I'm definitely a happier person when I have something I'm reading that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times I'll have four or five things going at once, none of which I'm all that interested in. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but you can you can that forgiveness uh, of we didn't make this one. That to me is really what. Um, the base camp guys are talking about is why are you creating this stress for yourself about 24 books? This is an arbitrary goal. What you're saying is this goes back to your value of, I love learning. I love adventure and learning and adventure are reading is a way to do that. Yeah. Um, and so what you're just saying, I miss this. I miss that. I, but right now I know that there are other things I'm doing. I'll get back to it because it's so important to me. You know, rather than, you know, okay, we're going to have a sit down this Friday. We got to get on the same page about reading. What's going on yeah, here? We don't, we don't, yeah, there's no shame in it. And right. really, like, that, that'd be the worst thing. Like, that's right. To, to, hit, to hit ourselves with the books, saying we're not reading enough books is that's terrible. Right. But what it, what it does is an invitation to be like, are we, are we, are we satisfying that itch for us, you yeah. know, in other ways, or is it missing? And is that a reason why we don't feel as, fulfilled or is like 100% or thriving as we right. want. Right. And it creates a conversation of then what do we, what do we need? What does that look like? And actually one of the things that it created was my wife said, I need to go to our gar- garden plot. We rent a garden plot and she goes, I just need some alone time. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling drained and I haven't felt that I've had that learning. I need some alone time to just like produce something really quickly mm-hmm. in that time. And it was just like, great. Like that was a check-in of, she was previously getting it through reading books and uh, other things. And now it's like, it looks totally different. That's brilliant. This, this is the, you're, you're describing the utopia. I would love to see people achieve at work, which is yeah, what's that? Uh, why, why we can, um, through mutual love and respect, we can achieve an environment where people get what they need. And that they they get more than they would get by themselves, uh, but they are getting what they need. And I think that um, I don't think that's impossible. I mean, when I think about 
the the way you've described to me the sort of leader you want to be, um, it's it's it really makes me hopeful. It's a it's a it's wonderful to see you grow in your career. Yeah, um, and you have um, a great balance of the intellectual professionalism with uh, a good heart. And um, so, when I do, you think about starting your own business? <laughs> good, good question. You know, I got an entrepreneurship degree, thinking that I would, mm-hmm. and. You know, as I've gotten more to know myself, I don't necessarily think that I am that sort of uh, risk taker slash confident on an idea of mm-hmm. um, of of doing that. What's funny is I've actually met recently with two people that I graduated with who have asked me that same question just in the last two days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think if I were to ever start something, it would have to be a lifestyle business. Mm-hmm. Like, I... I would truly want to start something just to support my own family and my own life. And it would have to, my life and my family would control the business, not the business controlling me. And that's my biggest fear is that starting something that either takes money um, from angel investors or Mm -hmm. VC or is, you know, growth in some sort of way is, is something that then like, they would start controlling me and my family rather than my family dictating the way that works. So if it was ever to be something, it would be a lifestyle business that could really just sustain my family. My brother-in-law is a uh, mobile developer mm-hmm. and uh, we joke all the time, if we can just find the right widget to sell, mm-hmm. you know, and, and sell enough of it and, and just get it right, we would be the dynamic duo, product and developer, you mm-hmm. know, uh, family members setting something up. And that's that's utopia for us. It's it's a bizarre utopia, but it's utopia. I think it's fabulous, and it's certainly not impossible. It just may not happen as fast as you want. Yeah. I mean, I can guarantee it won't happen as fast as you want. No, it would be a slow, slow thing. Yeah, but it's still. Um, I love what you you said about um, wanting to have the business um, feed your life, not your life feed the business. Exactly. So uh, how important is money to you? It's, you know, I think that's a careful topic mm-hmm. in any sort of way. Uh, it's important that it hits the means that I want it to accomplish. I, I have no aspirations of being filthy rich, you mm-hmm. know, the mansions, the whatnot. As, as long as the money is providing the values that I want my family to be espousing to being, then that's the satisfaction. So it's just, it's a means to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the great thing about that is it's also very flexible depending on what you prioritize, just like in business and product where if you had a wealth of resources of developers, yeah, you can go and do a lot, but, you know, scope that down and then, okay, what are the most important things that I want to accomplish? What is my MVP? What does that look like? And uh, that, to me, is really, at the end of the day, what money is for. So, yes, it's important to me, but not at the sake of a number, but at the sake of how does it create 
and fulfill the values that I want for my family. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I believe money uh, is a condition which gives us choices. Um, and yeah. the um, I have a lot of choices even without money. Yes. Um, the quality of my choices with money goes way up. Um, <laughs> but um, the what I the whatever it is I'm trying to for me personally when I'm trying to achieve in my life. I can't achieve with money. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I read something interesting I like, which is that um, if you have enough money to solve a problem, you don't have that problem. Yeah. No, it's it's a great, right? And if Mm -hmm. you take my saying that our family desires adventure, you could define adventure as going on an African safari as a full Mm -hmm. family spending, you know, Mm -hmm. thousands upon thousands of dollars. But we've also found adventure by just going on the Natchez Trace Mm-hmm. And and going on a hike for one hour a day, and that fulfills adventure as well. Mm-hmm. So it, that's that's not what it's about. The money isn't about it. It's about the priority of what are we going to do mm-hmm. with what we have to fulfill fill that need. So I, I think that's absolutely correct. So last question for you. What do you want in your tombstone? Tombstone? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to die, Eric. I'm sorry. <laughs> Shoot. Happens to all of us. It'll probably be me first, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what do you want in your tombstone? You know, I, I'm probably, uh, I'm a minimalist and, you know, I would probably say just date of birth, date of death. That's it. <laughs> he, he, he existed. <laughs> he was here. <laughs> I, he was here. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, 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 really, I really don't. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, I want to make an impact on the world or this or that yeah. legacy. Mm-hmm. I, I sometimes like anonymity. Um, and... I take a lot of um, solace and peace in uh, the Bible verse from Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And I don't know, there's something to that that I just really, really love. And it gives me a lot of peace about. So that's probably some of the odd intricacies that are coming out in me right now, what I want on my tombstone. (laughs) That's beautiful. Oh, hey, thank you so much, Eric. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you being with me today. Yeah, pleasure, Tom. Always enjoy the conversation. The Fortune's Path podcast is a production of Fortune's Path, where we help businesses implement product management culture to plan more insightfully, lead more effectively, and grow more rapidly. Product consulting, sales enablement, research and analysis fortune's path special thanks to eric carroll for being our guest music and editing of the fortune's path podcast are by my son ted Nozer. look for the fortune's path book coming from advantage books in november of 2021 keep thinking hard working always learning be happy make money happy comes first i'm tom Nozer. thanks for listening and i hope we meet along fortune's path